Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this week is the 50th episode, and it's also uh, marks the first year anniversary of the podcast. So uh, thanks to everyone who's been listening, and it's been a really great year. If you've been with us for since day one, I, um, I bet you think the uh, year would have flown by. But to celebrate the uh, 50th episode, I've got a special guest with me today. Uh, it's a Melbourne-based artist, Steve Cross. How you going? Good. How you going? Good, thanks. Thanks Good. for uh, taking the time to sit down and have a chat. It's all right. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know how to introduce you, really, like, because as, cause you do so many different mediums of art, and I was like, oh, you know, what, do, I, do I say multidisciplinary artist? I don't know. Or? I don't know. Yeah, because like, <laughs> how, how, like if someone said, oh, like, um, what sort of art do you do? What, what, do, you, what do you tell them? Uh, um, I don't know. They don't, I don't know. They, people, groups sort of focus on one particular style, so. Depends on the crowd you're in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It does. I mean, I just say, I just produce artwork. That's what I say. Yeah. Like I just produce it. It doesn't, it's not in any, any particular genre. I just produce it. And then it categorizes in what, what it's either done in or what it looks like, really. Yeah. Mm. So for those that don't know you, like you, you do like, um, you're a painter and you're a tattoo artist, illustrator, graffiti artist, and you also paint murals as well. Mm. Like, is there anything I'm missing there? Uh, I also run a big tattoo studio, which is another full-time job. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the, that's the behind the scenes sort of stuff. Which you know you're turning a logic brain and illogic brain and you know it's uh, it's quite it's quite uh, confusing at times in my brain. But, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I sort of yeah you know, try a little bit of everything. <laughs> so um, so how did you get into art and uh, and like which medium came first? Um, well, my parents when I was when I was born, my my parents spent a lot of time in the in the bush in Western Australia, and um, they both drew with lead pencils. So when I sort of started realizing <clears throat> that we would, I would be drawing on a bit of paper if we were camping somewhere, my mum or dad would be drawing anyway. So I just assumed that everybody in society drew. Because at school, you know, you, you're, taught, you're taught, especially in primary school, you, the first thing you were taught are, um, are drawing or art and sport. And as you get older, you're told to pursue sport. No one tells you to pursue art. Mm. But I didn't know that because we talked about art at home. So I just assumed that um, everybody on the weekends drew and every night you did homework of drawing and in the morning you did drawing. And so that was kind of my first kind of love was lead pencil on paper. Um, and uh, I still didn't get it all through primary school. I still thought everyone spent all their you know, extra time out of school producing artwork. So it was kind of weird, you know. Um, when I started realising around grade seven that, that uh, no one else does that. But yeah, it was that. And then we weren't from a, um, a family that had a lot of stuff. So if anything, we had poster paint. So it was, I guess it was acrylic was the first thing because we didn't have any finances to spend on anything. You know. So yeah, that was about the first medium was lead pencil. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what sort of um, art do your parents do? They still. Uh, they don't produce any no. artwork at all. No. Yeah, they all stopped. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my brother, my older brother, was a really good um, drawer. I'd say he was a really good illustrator now, but he even stopped in the late 80s. Uh, he became a ticket writer when they used to hand paint all the tickets for um, shops before computers were printing out 
figures. He would have mm-hmm. to hand paint them. Um, but he got into that industry at the end of the industry. So by the time he got his job, he was really good at this awesome style, which really influenced my graffiti later on, which he never knew because he hated graffiti. And, um, but I still love the kicks he used to do off the brush. And, um, and uh, yeah, I forgot the question actually. Um, were you just about your family if they were creative? If they were still oh creative? yeah, and then, they, and then they all stopped. Everyone sort of stopped pursuing it because life was pretty sort of um, um, pretty tough where we, where we were brought up. And, uh, but it was my escapism, like a most artists. It was where I was kind of, whether I was in control or out of control, I was comfortable in the environment and I surrounded myself with what I knew and what I was learning and no one had an opinion about it. So it was kind of my escapist kind of route out of out of those suburbs and that sort of time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so like out, outside of just um, drawing, was graffiti the first medium you got into? Like a, um, a, yeah, yeah. I must probably, I must probably break dancing the, maybe in the like mid 80s. So maybe 84, 85 when I first saw break dancing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I just started becoming well, I did sort of start wagging school a bit. And we lived about two kilometers away from the train station. Like we were deep suburbs. So I used to spend literally my whole day off just trying to get to the train station and trying to get home afterwards and then going to the city. But that's where I first started seeing tags that were only done in like Posca markers. No one had anything too thick. No one had flowies or anything like that. And um, as soon as I saw that, I was about 12, 13, that was it. I totally found my, my, my niche that I just had to be a part of. And I felt like it was in me anyway without me knowing because I just fell straight into the graffiti scene. And it was so young in, in Perth as well. Yeah, but I was still classified as new school though at that time because there were older blokes that had been doing some walls since the like, you know, early 80s, which was only three, four years. But when you're 12, that's like... You know, they're adults and yeah, yeah. they've been producing this adult artwork for years and, you know, so you're still treated like a new Jack that whole time. Like, I, funny. Yeah, I, know. I remember being like 10 years old and, um, you know, you'd see 16-year-old kids and you'd think that they're like fully, full-blown yeah. adults. Yeah. yeah. And even playing footy, like, as a kid, like, the, the under-18s team were like, yeah. they, were, they were adults oh, to me. Yeah. yeah. Some of them had facial hair and everything. Yeah. <laughs> 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 They're proper grown Some of the mums did as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying that you're, um, you know, you, you grew up in Perth. Like, wh- what made you decide to move to Melbourne, and when when did you move over here? Um, well, my brother was. It, it sort of all stems a lot to my brother because he was leading the way. Basically, he was building these miniature cities in the in the all through the eighties, and. Um, he was calling them like Ferntree Gully and uh, Hawthorne East and um, Footscray and um, Sunshine, which was a beautiful suburb in his city, um, you know, and, and Ferntree Gully as well. It was just like where the echelon of society lived in this little things. And so, and he had trams in this little microscopic city and he still makes these actually to this day. They're in, they're in um, millimetre scale. And um, so he was talking about this place called Melbourne from when I was a little kid. Um, and then when he started going off the rails, well, enjoying life a bit more and having a hard time at home, so he was spending a lot more time out in the streets, 
I, um, I kind of took on the role of becoming obsessed with this place called Melbourne that I'd never been to. Uh, and then I got heavily involved in graffiti and then I came out here for Eros Soul in Heidelberg in 91 and came over with Shime and Dash, um, Promise and then High Five came over, a few other guys. Um, and Promise was painting with one of the guys um, and I can't actually remember who it was. Um, and they pulled out on the day to paint the wall. So I ended up getting to paint a bit of the Heidelberg wall, which was sort of an epic event. I was completely, I had no style. I was, didn't, I was being really influenced by the LA scene at that time. You know, like Hex and Slick. So I was trying to do these like multi light, light source paintings. I was completely out of my league because there was prints and Demote and there was, you know, the Broken Boaster Boys. <clears throat> I painted next to Mr. E, you know, he's like a good friend now, but like I was completely out of my league, completely out. I was a ring-in at a kind of a pivotal event, I thought. And so the point that I landed in, the, the actual moment when I landed in 91, flew over with, with Dash, as soon as I got off the plane, it was like I was actually at, I was in, I was at home. And then... Um, I wasn't trying, it wasn't trying to be my home. I just landed here and then it felt more home than where my parents lived. And I've always treated it the same. Like Perth is where my parents live and Melbourne's where I live. I've never called Perth home ever since. So, um, and then I holidayed here for maybe, or I tried to make a, a living as a tattooist all through the nineties. Uh, and I flew here maybe three times a year. So I'd get a job, um, get enough money for a ticket then I would quit my job. My brother moved over here. I'd sleep on his floor and then I'd hustle trying to get a tattoo apprenticeship and sell, used to sell um, artwork like Tattoo Flash to tattoo studios. And um, so I'd spend my whole trip just walking to every single studio and trying to just hustle, trying to sell um, artwork to stay here. And then I would, a lot of the time, wouldn't, so I'd have to fly back to Perth. I'd get another job, get the money, fly back. And then I ended up moving here in 99. So yeah, that's when I officially had had enough. And I'd done a lot of Europe, Europe sort of travel as well through that time. So by the time I got here, I really wanted to base myself as a Melbourne resident, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Hmm. You said you were selling artwork and uh, like you know, Tattoo Flash and you know, sort of being creative and mm. trying to make money off that. Mm. Have, you, have you always made a living off creativity? Yeah. Yeah, always. I mean, I've had like maybe, I don't know, I've had a lot of jobs. I've had a lot of jobs, but I was never scared of, of work. So, you know, I mean, I was delivering pizzas at one point. You know, I was working for juvenile justice in the day, dealing with kids in and out of um, jail on parole. Um, and I was writing art courses for juvenile justice. Um, and then at night, um, I was delivering pizzas. And then after work, I'd go and paint some walls with shine <laughs> because it worked out just perfectly. I'd suss out in the car, I'd suss out spots anyway because um, I was allowed to drive around. I had a hot pizza in, in the passenger seat. So, you know, I could cruise around and actually suss out industrial areas and all that sort of stuff. So it actually worked out really well. But um, I've always just, um, I've always refused to not um, produce artwork and, you know, and um, 
there's always you know there's always um, a, a way to an avenue to make money from it to survive to produce more artwork yeah yeah and so with all the uh, all the different mediums of art that you do like um, you know we haven't even got to your painting or you know the commercial illustration you do and all that type of <laughs> stuff do you find that with uh, like mixing between the different mediums, do they all work as like one creative outlet for you, or do you mm. do you go like have to sort of switch a switch in your brain? Because I know from speaking different languages, mm. I know that like I have to really get my mind in like a, yeah wrap your like head around a, yeah like I have to go right, I'm in I'm in, I'm in Spanish now you know it's yeah. like I have to stay with that and then if someone speaks English to me I sort of turn and reply in Spanish or something like that. <laughs> yeah it's like you you have to sort of get in the headspace of um yeah well look I, I don't know a lot of people ask me that and I kind of feel weird because I feel like the older I've got that there's less changing the way I'm thinking mm. so the last couple of years I've really focused on trying to combine um at least the style of the line work can relate to aerosol to tattooing to you know wine label illustration if I can put the same little tweaks in it, that even the people don't notice them, but people who know me will know it's that little bit of style. That's kind of what I mainly focus on. But years ago, you know, I used to think of um, compartmentalizing um, my life and there's a theory of putting on hats and I used to have to do that. So when I wake up in the morning, I've got my drawing hat on, I draw, I have like a really young child. So I'm up at like 5 a.m. I draw until 8.30 and then, but I'm also being my dad hats on, do all of that, drop him off, then I've put my work hat on, drive to work, have to be in logistical sort of mode and actually think of like, um, of how I'm gonna place the day. And then as I get there, I can put my tattoo hat on. Then if I'm gonna paint a wall later in the Arvo, when I leave there, I kinda, you know, mentally take it off and put on a new hat that's the only way i've been able to deal with doing like five six different kind of genres of, of style of medium um, at the same time if i didn't do that because i've got to also tie up loose ends because you know when i was younger i never tied up loose ends there'd be a half inch wall there mm. half inch project there you know that sort of thing and then i was always looking to to make a living so it was it was absolute chaos when i was a kid chaos I wasn't taught structured sort of rules I had to learn them so nowadays I don't even think about you know doing that sort of metaphor of of, um, of putting different sort of uh, identities on um, I think that's just coming with age to be honest I think that's just what it is really yeah, yeah. so you never um, you never felt that there was any need to just sort of um, focus on one medium or anything like that all, I do all working for you or well, I do, I do. Um, I re I'm, I, I'm pretty serious about artwork. Like I really, when I really want to focus on something, um, I do. I become more of a hermit um, and especially mentally. And, uh, you know, I've always seen myself as learning and um, I've always wanted to be a student. And that sounds really corny, but I've always treated, and to this day and to this moment, I still treat myself as though I don't really know much about anything. Um, so I'm constantly pushing myself to learn for my own benefits. It's not for anyone else, really. Um, but visually it changes, you know, more paintings become more established. Um, you know, uh, yeah, so, yeah. 
forgotten the end, the start of that question, actually. Oh, it's an interesting one. Same here, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you were saying to me uh, earlier that you like you like being able to use Instagram as like a uh, mm. online folio, I guess, to mm. sort of show all the different mm. types of work that you're doing. Mm. Is that is that something that you got right into? And oh well, I try not to become obsessed with you know like checking it. Yeah, <clears throat> but um, for business terms, it's it's really good. It's a pretty valuable tool. Um, you know, people, I, you know, I go and quote some jobs and for, for walls to be painted and people always ask for the, for your CV and I'm like, just, just get on Instagram. Mm. You can see my daily progress that I was doing this morning and yesterday and the day before. I didn't have to write about it. I didn't have to, um, explain what the job was. You know, there's links where you can go to the business that I painted for, you know, like, you know, um, it, it's like an endless sort of, um, free form kind of folio that um, I like, I use it. And I think that, you know, I think we were talking about that people, um, since the invention of it, people look busier than they've ever been. But the theory was that most people have been busy always. In actual fact, you had to be, you had to hustle harder to get any more work and exposure because the way you got exposure, you had to walk up to someone and actually shake their hand, like actually physically touch a human. And they looked at you and you had to either get a connection about a job or not. You know, now you yeah. don't have to do that. I can organise most of my work through through just digital media and and it's fine, you know. Um, so, you know, maybe people even back off a bit. Plus, you can also backlog 10 photos and be lazy for a week and a half but post something, you know. Yeah. So I think that people... Um, I think it's been uh, an application that's, like, really adapted you know to street painting especially you know and blogs are massive these days mm. you know people really are, are very serious about the whole sort of visual imagery and it being recorded um you know to become history you know where before if you miss that wall you know you'd paint you get the photo you go back in the morning to get the photo if you're painting at night and it's been buffed yeah and, you, and all you've got is your story to tell you to friends how much paint you used and how big it was, but they think you're just bullshit anyway, yeah. you know? Yeah. Where now it's, there's a clear, de de you know, defining image that's, you know, it was there. It did exist. Yeah. I, I think you're right with it being a really um, valuable tool. I just think some people get too, a bit too um, caught up in it. Yeah, all. yeah, yeah. I don't like to... Um, yeah, I don't. I don't get upset if if I spend fifty hours on a painting or a tattoo, or um, do some you know street painting that I love more than anything I've ever done. You know, I'll get like thirty two likes, mm. but I can't let that, that 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 can't that's that's no reflection of it. I just mm. like to. I personally, it's like a, an element of closure that I've done the piece. It's finished. It's a full stop on that piece, and now it's sort of up. For for people people want to look at it, they do. If not, but a lot of people, especially in the tattoo industry, the importance of Instagram is unbelievable. Yeah, it has taken over their social life, um, and it is so important in that industry. But I kind of, you know, I've, I'm you know I'm always on the outskirts of most subcultures, so I kind of move in when I want to, and I don't get too offended if I don't get you know so many people looking at it or whatever. It's not. It's not really what it's about because I'm producing artwork anyway. Yeah. And I have my own photos. Yeah. So, exactly. you know, um, yeah, it's more about feeling fulfilled, I think. Mm. Instagram's just the visual pr 
proof to show people that you've done it. Yeah, yeah. Some people use their um, their numbers as a um, a way to, you know, like pe- people judge a bit. Like they go, mm. oh, like oh, he's he's all right, and then they mm. look, oh, he's got like twenty thousand followers. Oh, he yeah. must be good then. Yeah, yeah totally. You, do you do you ever um, like hire a tattoo artist or something based on their following? Um, no, not really. No, I mean. Corporate, because Corpus Studios is called, it's studio. So basically the first requirement of working there as a tattooist is you have to be a painter, mm. pre-tattooist. So I didn't, I never called it Tattoo Studio. Um, some of the, some of our PR has to have the word tattoo in it for, for new clients, you know, new sort of fan base. But other than that, it's always been referred to as a studio. And if you've been there, there's like, we have heaps of light boxes and a lot of people if you're not tattooing people are always producing watercolors acrylics um paintings always that's actually what i tell them that they should be doing mm. should constantly be producing artwork so most people that i've ever employed and it's 10 years now corpus has been around a decade um and this is my 20th year tattooing um i like the growth of people and I like the growth of artists so even with tattooing um I don't get apprentices, but I, I like I like to watch someone develop and grow. And I kind of feel like I, you know, it's, it's an environment where I can see someone's potential um, and I hire them on their future. I don't hire them on what, what they're doing. You know, it can be a little tweak in one little, one little image. They can have a whole folio and some of their artwork can be very average. Then they can do maybe one or two full color illustrations, which are paintings. And I can see something in that and it's like, that is the person that I want to be around and I'll learn from them and watch them grow. And then I learn from all these guys, you know? So, uh, no, I don't actually. Mm. I do suss them out, but yeah. everybody susses people out. That's yeah, just yeah. how this, this world is now. But, but I never, um, I'm never impressed. I'm not impressed by that. Yeah. Like it's a double touch with your thumb. It means nothing, you know, and it's a swipe up. People and you can tell by looking what people look look at. You can see that they're just double tapping, going to the next page, double tapping. A lot of them are trying to, you know, get be seen by other people to then get their own fan base up. So mm. I've never really been sold on it. Yeah, it's, I only asked that because I heard a funny story about a, another friend of mine who um, owns a tattoo studio, yeah. and uh, and this guy came in and wanted to get a, get his foot in the door there. Yeah. And then uh, during the interview, <laughs> he, he said, oh, so why, uh, yeah, why should I hire you? He goes, look at my Instagram. You know, 20,000 people can't be wrong. Or oh, and, then, uh, and then they did that big cleanup on Instagram. And he ended up with like, you know, 250 followers yeah, or something. Yeah, <laughs> man. That's, just, That's so funny. It's <laughs> uh, uh, hilarious. I was like, I don't know how he had so many followers. He wasn't that good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. And yeah, man. Whatever, yeah. you know, it's, I, I don't yeah. want to think about yeah. it too much. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. It's just on my mind at the moment because I, ch- I was out yeah. having a beer with a few mates last night and um, I was with my mate uh, OG23 and yeah, he had right. a pretty, it's a substantially big following on Instagram. He just deleted it. And I said, oh man, he had like, you know, 12,000 followers or yeah, whatever. He goes, yeah. it doesn't matter. He goes, yeah, it doesn't who matter are they anyway? Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was just interesting. It's just on my mind, but I don't want to sit here talking about Instagram. No, well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a quick story about yeah. it, just to finish up. Um, Tattooists rely on it so much in that industry that, you know, you can have someone with, say, 32 or 150,000 followers. Yeah. You can go and do a convention with them yeah. in another city. 
or even in your own city, and they will sit there for three days and get no work. Mm. So I usually remind them, you know, they're, what are, they're not relating to anything. They're not really supporting you in any way other than double-clicking a screen. Yeah. You know, they're not here helping you progress with your artwork. Yeah. You're sitting here hustling like you did day dot to just try and make a living as a visual artist. Yeah. You know, and I don't come down on them like that, but it's a reality check. It's like, you know. Yeah. Keep, um, keep sober and, and, um, and just do good quality work. And that's what matters in, in everything, you know. Yeah. I think as long as like, you're happy with what you're producing, mm. like, there's no one else out there you need to impress. Yeah. Yeah, God, man. And I'm older. Like, you yeah. know, I've done all, I did all that when I was younger, you know. Mm. But I was always trying to impress graffiti writers, you know, mm. by doing the more daredevil thing or, you know, whatever that, you know, the whole, you know, the, you know, the scene. I know how it goes. <laughs> you know, try and do what, what, what's in fashion at the time and then, then you try and hit the biggest spots and you yeah. know, get, get out there the most and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's fun though. Yeah, yeah. More fun than Instagram. Yeah, man. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I often think. You know, I get lost yeah. in that thing for an hour, yeah. you know, maybe in the evening and I think that was an hour I could have been drawing. It's yeah. an hour I've lost. Like, yeah. So I really keep real hard on myself. I'm, I, if I'm my own boss, I'm pretty, pretty strict. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I have a 10 minute a day limit. Yeah. Unless I'm on public transport. Yeah. And it's yeah. justifiable. Yeah. yeah, I try not to yeah. touch it. And then I end up looking like a creep staring at people on the tram. You know, because you've got <laughs> nothing to do. So you're just doing your people watching and they're like, why does that guy keep staring at me? And I'm like, I don't know. Isn't that what we all used to do? Was look at each other? Yeah. Now we look at our blue screen I know so there's no point in painting track sides anymore because <laughs> yeah. everyone's on their phone <laughs> that is so funny that is so true yeah yeah what uh, a shame anyway uh, moving on um, you, you mentioned earlier that you are that you, you draw in the mornings and everything mm. like, so do you, you have a daily drawing practice uh, I try to yeah when I can yeah yeah so 5am to 8.30 um, that's my strict drawing time Jeez. With a three-year-old client sitting on my shoulders, watching TV, screaming, or, or the cat is attacking the cat, the cat's attacking him, or, you know, uh, we, me and my partner both work full-time, like, so, um, yeah, she's, she's off to work at usually 6, 6.30, and um, so, yeah, it's pretty hectic, but um, it's whatever, it's, I'm enjoying living you know like i i do enjoy i spend a lot of time enjoying uh living life and so um you know if, if someone's trying to constantly harass you i'll still produce the drawing um and he knows out of all the rules my son knows not to actually touch my drawing book <laughs> he can draw on anything with anything but he's not allowed to touch my pacer pencil yeah yeah my rotary pen no way that's the only rule we have in his whole life i think yeah, don't yeah. touch dad's drawing book he'll respect it he just rip page yeah. <laughs> nah he's pretty good but he has his own drawing book and we sit down and he draws and we both collect stickers which is a bit odd you know me being my age and him being a kid and, and he'll go through my book going oh stickers and I'm like yeah and then I think man I'm maybe a bit old to be doing that but you know we act our relationship you know we, we enjoy sitting around and talking about stuff and talking about drawing I don't teach him drawing either like he's got to learn that on his own. Um, I don't force him to, um, this is a face and this is a dog and this is a train. I'm not interested in that. 
I let him do all free form in his little book and I don't judge him. I don't go, oh, that looks like a face. There's two eyes. I don't, if a face can have 50 eyes or it can just be a line. That's the way I like him. And he'll pick up how to draw anyway through primary school and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of interesting. Like he likes to sit down and he likes to go through and I explain all the drawings through the book, which I think is nice. So mm -hmm. that's our three hours every morning, seven days a week. Cool. Yeah. I sometimes get some sleep in. Yeah. I got one yesterday, so I was pretty stoked. What, six o'clock? No, I got to sleep in until about 7.38, I think. Nice. Pretty wrapped. Yeah, man. Felt pretty guilty, but uh, it was pretty good. <laughs> uh, roll with it, man. <laughs> yeah. So with, with um, you know, your books, do you have like uh, different books for different styles or anything like that? Uh, you just, you no. just go book by book? and just... Book by book. Got to fill it every page. Every yeah. page, yeah. I'm allowed to tear a page out. I'm not allowed to erase things. Um, Say so I have pages that I just dislike beyond dislike. But it's a reminder of, you know, keeping structure and composition and, you know, I kind of learn by the things that I don't like. So, you know, um, that's kind of the rule. I, I've got half a page left on my book at the moment. And then the one before that was completely full. Uh, that was last April. Uh, and I had a solo exhibition at Jody Roller and I left it on the roof of my car in Richmond and I must have driven off. Oh. And I lost that book and it had some of my favourite drawings in it of all time. And I took a few photos of some of the pages, um, but, um, you know, that just went off to the gods. The, and it was the start of winter, so the puddles, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know where it is. I've, but had, I've had that. It's devastating. Yeah. Yeah, I've lent books out to friends to get oh, yeah. their pages and just never seen them again. Yeah, man. Yeah, things like that. Right. And also, I have one in it. I'm drawing a lot of small books yeah. and um, have them in my pocket and then... In riding my bike and then get home oh, and then it's not, not in my pocket anymore and yeah. things like that. But yeah, um, man. As you said, you just got to let it go and, yeah. and, and keep moving forward. Yeah, and yeah, and it kind of makes you not dwell on, you know, your ego too much. You don't mm. sort of dwell on it and go, yeah, I love that. And that's so, I was on such a good day that day. I mean, you learn, but, you know, if, it, if it's gone, it's just, you know, um, you just got to deal with the, the future, basically. You know, progression. It's always progression. Yeah. Yeah, the reason I ask about the um, different books for different styles is because when when I, I started out, you know, getting black books and all that, it was always graffiti related. Graffiti, yeah. And then um, it got to a point where I drew so much graffiti, I didn't know how, how to draw anything else. Anything else, yeah. And yeah, I'd go, oh, sure. I'm going to start practicing different forms of art and, and I'd always just end up doing a, doing graph sketches. And, yeah. and, then, um, and then what I did is I started buying these little books and my, my, as you know, you've got your rules with your books. Mine was like no graffiti in these books. Yeah, this is and I'm still, uh, still drawing them every single day. Yeah, and then yeah. I've got like um, black books. So if, I'll, yeah. if I've got, go, no, I'm going out to do a piece with yeah. some friends, I'll do some yeah. drawing and stuff like that. And, but it's, it's good. I, I, I really like, um, you know, having those rules because it was, mm. I kept saying to myself, oh, I'm going to develop all these different styles and all that. And I never did. Yeah. And then until I set those, like, put those rules yeah, in place. Yeah, parameters. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only thing I have strict is is graph outline books where I will, um, you know, I won't put any drawing in those. You know, if, if friends are travelling over to Melbourne, then I'll get them to do an outline in the book. But they're about the only ones. But the other ones are, Sometimes with the drawing book as well, if I start putting outlines in it, um, yeah, I sometimes do forget how to draw again. Like, I'll forget how to draw an eyeball, like an eye. But I draw an eye every day, and then I go to work, and I might tattoo eyeballs. 
and then if I paint a wall, I'll paint eyes. And then if I do a graphic, if I do an outline, I'll go to paint, to draw something and I just can't, I forget the whole theory. So I also do little step-by-step -step how to draw an eyeball, you know, I just give myself a little tests, little testers. But, um, and then I just forget. I think it's just, mm. you know, dodgy past catches up with me sometimes, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, I can't draw eyes at all. I try, but that's why most of my characters have, um, have sunglasses on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. Do, do an eye and go, nah. <laughs> yeah. I know, man. It's like, it's so hard, hey? It's, yeah. it's the hardest thing, man. Yeah. So um, I saw uh, last week you had a piece in the uh, V&A exhibition in London. Mm. Well, that must have been a, uh, an honour to get in Oh, there. man, I was... Pretty wrapped about it. Yeah, because you you had an article in there, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I did. That was I think that was last that was start of last year as well. So um, it kind of coincided with this solo exhibition. So um, I, th I think it was after. I'm not exactly sure. I think it was after. Um, and that was written by Damo. You know Damo. Yeah. In? Yeah, he's a lovely chap. He uh, he wrote it up and uh, he titled the piece "The Black Ocean." And then I kind of looked at what he was writing about what I had been saying. I was like, wow, that's really deep. Wow, Damo's really deep. Like he saw some more depth of what I just spill out of my mouth. And a lot of the exhibition was based off that interview. Yeah, it was about, um, you know, figurative painting, but without having any figures in it, uh, without any face, facial features in it or something like that. So... It was more about the anonymity of people, you know, such a public eye, you know, such a public kind of world we live in, if you want it to be. Um, and, um, you know, trying to portray emotions without having faces in it. Um, but, yeah, I got that. And then I've just kept in contact with all the guys from v anyway. Um, but, yeah, look, when I looked at the lineup, I freaked out. I tried not to read the lineup more than once because... Um, it was really intimidating. Like there's every legend that I ever wanted to be like when I was younger or, and now, and they're, they were in it. So I was pretty, I try not to think too much about it and I just sent the piece off. And then when it was gone, I was getting a few messages from people going, wow, man, have you seen the line? I can't believe you with those. I was like, man, I'm trying not to think about it. But anyway, um, yeah, I was honored. And yeah. it's a shame that that magazine you know, as at the yeah. end, but you know, um, it had its moment and it, it, it's more important because it had its moment Yeah. than if it was continuing and, you know, becoming an, an old dog in the industry, you know, like um, you've, you have this evolutionary sort of stuff. And I guess it was just time for them to do what they were doing, but man, it was, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm small fry compared to all these people. So I still get off on the fact that I had a painting in London, you know? Yeah. That to me is still, you know, when I was a kid, I've always been obsessed with big cities and to have a painting in London without me being there is still is a, a basic joy. Hmm. You know, I'm not too complex when it comes to that sort of stuff. Yeah. I was just, the, the, the kid in me was like pretty over the moon that it was in postage and hopefully it was going to fucking make it, you know? Um, just make it there without a hole in it. <laughs> yeah. So your, your painting ended up selling as well, didn't it? It did, I did. Um, a friend of mine from Sydney called up and told me about it. I didn't know anything about it. I thought it hadn't sold because v had never mentioned it. But um, yeah, and it was in American dollars as well. That's what you want. 
know. Well, no, pound, pound, pounds are better. Yeah, but it was yeah. in American dollars. Oh, really? Oh. Really? Yeah, right. Because if the website was in American dollars. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Pounds are better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's sort of it's sold. So that's good. I, I, and and hundred percent of the proceeds went to that cause. So um, I'm just sort of wrapped that that happened. Um, and this Friday night, oh, sorry. Um, there's an exhibition coming up also for Spice, who's the female graffiti writer from Sydney. And that's another 100% donated painting for that course as well. So, you know, um, that stuff feels feels good, I yeah. reckon. Yeah. yeah, it keeps you grounded. Yeah, I've been doing a few um, charity paintings mm. and donating art. I, I like it. It's um, nice. I like it. And I like keeping prices really low so people can buy it because they like it as opposed to liking it and never being able to afford anything. Um, I'd rather, I don't want it back in the studio. I'd rather someone have it and hang it and, and look at it yeah. than me have it and think of the potential it could have had. It's, it's pointless really. Isn't it? mm. Mm. So um, talking about exhibiting in London, you, you had some stuff in the show Years yeah. ago, when I, like when I first met <laughs> yeah. you in uh, two thousand and one. Yeah, was it two thousand one? Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. Right. Um, it was like that. Uh, they the, made me do it. Yeah, the Donny Darko type thing. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, and I remember. Um, like I met you through Insa. Yeah, and um, yeah. and everyone was like, "Oh, you've got to know Steve because um, you're Australian." <laughs> we painted like, that wall. We painted that big wall down there, and it was Method. Yeah, you, Zode. Jay Zode was there, yeah. and I was right up the other end. And it was maybe what, 10, 15 dudes painting? So you yeah. were so far away. And I remember walking up the wall and everyone was all going, oh, he's all this, he's all that, in it, and all that stuff. And then I got up the end and I could hear like guys going, oh, yeah, mate, yeah, no, Mark. And I was like, whoa, Aussies. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was awesome, eh? That was a really good, um, that was a really weird wall, eh? It was really long. I can't think of anyone else who painted, but there was a few. I think there was a French dude on there and a, yeah, some German guys and an Italian dude. Yeah. yeah, man, it was like, and I was just a ring-in, but I was just honoured to paint with Joe at the end before he sort of went gangbusters, you know? Yeah. It's before he sort of... But that's when he was doing that crazy 3D stuff. But anyway, that, that era, man, that was awesome, hey, the London scene. I mean, I hated leaving that trip. Like, I was there for about a month, but I was staying in... Um, I was staying in Camberwell looking after someone's apartment, and it was just surreal, eh? It was just cruising around at night on your own. It was just it was bizarre. Mm. It was really good. I had a really good time that trip. But yeah, we got. I think we got loose. Um, the night of that exhibition. Oh, that um, remember the, the exhibition finished and that um, turquoise double decker bus, bus showed up. The absinthe bus. <laughs> and, oh man, I already had a few beers in me, and I, yeah, I remember getting on that bus, and the rest of the night's a real blur. For well, that's me. the thing. I kind of started remembering that after you mentioned it to me. <laughs> Yeah, man, that was. I just that, had, had the DJ on there, and then all they said was absinthe, and we just cruising around London. It's fucking crazy, <laughs> eh? And the the people that were in that show were fucking awesome, eh? Yeah, just killers. Yeah. Yeah, man, I was so on a den. That that's when I was like, oh my god, you know, I'm so small fry, you know. But then I also realised that I guess it's just the act of painting that brings you all together, and then that's what it is. It's not any sort of hierarchical sort of thing it's about having a visual image it's about that your labor you know that is that is um in a final piece it's the act of doing art that make, that connected everybody i think that's mm. kind of cool it wasn't about the standard mm. which is still i guess what what's important now yeah like you you keep saying that though like oh i'm so small fry and oh this is i can't well, believe i'm in this in this group but everyone's 
doing the same thing. They're just mm. doing their thing, you know. Mm. And I, I think it's uh, um, when you bring everyone together like that. Every, yeah. you know, everyone sort of meets on the level playing field. And, yeah. And I don't know. You got you stop beating yourself up because you've been yeah, around for a long time. And you've, yeah. you've done a lot of great work. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. See, I don't like talk about it too much. So I don't. I don't put myself in the relation in the in relation to a lot of people. I'm just honoured, man. Like I remember when I saw. Well, any any other writer, I, I was just like, I just aspire to be, at least have some percentage of their skill and ability. Mm. And so, you know, then I kind of felt like I went into my, the workshop of the Steve Cross internal workshop where I have to labour every day, labour, labour, labour. And you don't see your own evolution, you know? So, you know, and I still, I love going to exhibitions, man. I still get off on going to an opening uh, or even just not the opening, but an exhibition. Like, I just love it. Someone criticised me last year about going to a show that they didn't want to go to. They said, well, why, would you, why are you going to waste Friday night going to that shit? And I said, and I was, and everyone like laughed with that dude, you know, because it was just like, you know, it was all fucking mates having a joke. And I actually thought about it at that time and I thought, oh, I could just laugh it off. And I went, oh, you know why I'm going to go to it? It's because I actually like art. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. And he just shut, he was shut down. <laughs> I was like, yeah. No. Was, was he into art as well? Or was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a pretty prominent artist. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think everyone had a realization at that point, like, oh yeah, maybe we should all go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, anyway. so do you, uh, do you exhibit a lot? Like do you put a lot of focus on Group your, um, on your art, like as in exhibiting? Um, uh, I do a lot. I do a lot of group shows uh-huh. because they're great. I love group shows. I love them. I think I love exhibiting with other people. I love having a reason. And you know, group shows are good. That's where you can go and you can meet all your peers and people you haven't met, but you've admired them for so long. And you, you then, you know, you're on the wall with them. It's pretty cool. Um, I've only had like two solo shows my whole life because, uh, I've never had the brain space to really log in and, um, and get a big body of work. Last year I made a definite effort to do that. This year I want to have a show maybe at the end of the year. Um, So I'd like it to be maybe every 15 months to two years I'd like to have a solo. I don't want to rush into them and just keep having them. Um, uh, And I spend a lot of time now in my drawing book, like my morning drawing I call it, morning drawers I call it. Um, I kind of treat them like they're finished pieces of artwork anyway. Like they're not little concepts, they're not little... You know, it's like a private exhibition in my book. And if it goes on the shelf or it falls off the roof of the car and goes in a puddle, that was just the end of it, you know? I kind of like that. Um, but I, I, I love shows. And, um, I just, if I get the invite, I, I usually try and do the deadline. Yeah, I very rarely say no to anything. If I say no, there's usually some actual life crisis going on where I, um, I actually physically can't, can't do the, the standard that I want to do. But yeah, I love group shows, man. I love solo shows, but they um, it's a lot of organisation and and, um, and trying to stay in the same realm. Like my brain can jump around so much that by the time um, a week later I'll go to do another painting, it's a completely different style. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm exploring hair today. And, you know, I'm exploring ears or I'm exploring colour. I'm just looking at, you know, I just saw a Jeffrey Smart print in a really cheap print shop and I was like oh my god look at that block yeah like how does he do it like this three dimension and then I'll start working with three dimensions you know so 
it's you know it's very hard sometimes to focus you know um and be consistent with one show one body show and i kind of feel like the way i treated it uh, my, my the, and i'm not I'm not experienced in solo shows but the way i treated it, it was kind of more like music I wanted the show to be an album and I wanted every song to at least relate to the one next to it. I didn't want it to be completely, you know, just like a big collection of sh shit I had on the floor that I went, oh, I've just got to get rid of this. I really wanted it to all relate and have some serious meaning to relate to the piece before it and the piece afterwards. And um, if the first and the last piece I paint didn't relate, at least there was like a, like a journey between them and that's kind of how I treated it. And it's also how I got out of my um, painting, like painter's block, which I get a lot of, because um, I feel like I sometimes produce too much work in my own mind that I, I create these major blocks. Um, so I sort of started treating each painting as, it's just a tune and I'm just sort of, I'm not painting it, I'm kind of getting something out that's, you know, and if it stops early, it stops early and that's, it's finished. Mm. Some are overworked, you know, overplayed, you know, you know, so that's the way I treat it. And I found it was a really interesting tool on how to get over my blocks because they're, they're sometimes they're months um, long and I just get cranky. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hate creative blocks. You always, <laughs> they always go, they always move on. But yeah. when you're in them, you think you you're never going to go. go. <laughs> it's like, it's like how, is, <laughs> how many of these have I had in my life? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they're really intense, right? Like yeah. they're, you And you don't know what's brought it on. Mm. And you spend, oh, I, you know, I don't know, I get everyone, just, you spend your time trying to figure out why you've got it. Mm. But you shouldn't be, you know. It's just, I think it's just part of the creative process. Yeah, it's just to pick up. Look, um, Ian Strange, Kid Zoom, right? We, we hung out at Perth at Christmas and we painted a wall together and we haven't hung out for like a couple of hours in a long time. So it was the first time we've actually hung out painting next to each other for ages. Anyway, we we're talking about that and he goes, you know, he has a strict rule that he has to put a mark on a canvas or a piece of paper every day. So he'll get out of his apartment, he'll go across town, um, he'll go to the studio, he'll go up, he'll sit in front of the painting, he'll put a mark on the canvas and then he's allowed to do anything after that. He can go home, he can go to bed, he can go and have lunch, he can go to the pub, he can do anything he likes, or he can continue painting. And he, so he said once he started figuring that out um, and stopped being so hard on himself, he started producing so much more artwork because it became more of a story, it became more of a sentence, you know. Um, by putting that mark, sometimes he'd be like, I fucking hate art and I hate this mark, I hate this room, you know, I'm having to pit that guy on the tram or, you know, train where he lives is just an asshole. It's really annoyed me. And then he said, but sometimes by the end of that mark, he goes, oh, that could be an, that could be a weird eye. And then he produces the eye and he's like, man, imagine if the nose did this. Oh, man, imagine if... And, and he goes, he gets off the pressure of himself having to do it. Um, and, you know, and we because we were relating artwork to exercise. If people say they can't draw, it's like you can draw. It's like saying you can't do 100 push-ups. You actually can, you just don't do them. You haven't started with doing one and then doing two and the simple basic exercise. And if you don't get up and do exercise every day, well, clearly you're not that fit guy walking around that everyone's going, why is he so fit? It's like, because he does exercise. Why does that guy draw and paint more productively? It's because he does it every day. It's exactly the same. It's a practice. It's like cooking. Mm. You know, it's the same. Um, any sort of um, any sort of creative outlet is exactly that. 
construction, jewelry making, you know, architecture, um, bridge building, you know, anything, anything that uh, involves using a creative mind to, you know, um, to sort of calculate things and formulate like equations and actually make them mean something. You need exercise. You don't wake up going, oh, I've got it. Yeah. I know how to do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, in your head, you might know how to do it. As soon as you put your hand on that page, it's a completely different story, isn't it? Totally. It's sometimes in control of you, you know. So I've got that same that same rule of drawing every day. I've yeah. got to do a drawing every day, but I don't yeah. have to complete a drawing every yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I can just mark up a shape, and then yeah. some, and then the next day I could just fill that shape. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Like, yeah. and, and, but then, um, it's I find that. Uh, you know, I, I know that I'm going to go to the studio and I'm going to be painting all day. Yeah. But it's like, but this um, is separate to that because yeah. the painting on paintings I'm working on at the studio, some of them are carrying over for weeks and weeks. Yeah. And, it's, um, and I know what I'm doing in there. It's like, oh, I'm just going to do this. Mm. Whereas those are uh, those drawings in the morning are exploring mm. new ideas, mm. exploring new concepts, mm. like looking at a photo I took on my phone a week ago or something. Yeah. And it's going, oh wow, look at that. Yeah. And, um, that's and and it's just and, and not. I find it hard to have a something I haven't actually even drawn to go in and make a painting of. Mm. It's like, you know, this is gonna. I'm gonna invest a lot of time and, and money yeah. into this. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, but I, have, I don't even know if it's gonna work or not. <laughs> yeah. So, so those drawings are really important. I mean, mm. Mm. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. It's just, um, it's just research, isn't it? Really, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, And it's exploring. You know, it's it's knowing your, um, you know, just sound without sounding, you know, like metaphorical, but it's like knowing your surroundings, you know, you're living in the middle of the bush and knowing how far your parameters are of, of exploration to know what is in that, that region to use if you need it in your campsite, you know. Um, that kind of kind of relates to art. I've never really thought about it till now that you've just said that. Thank but you do say. So, yeah. So get, getting back to your, your paintings, um, yeah. I was... Uh, like I've, I really like how you use different colours of lighting in your paintings. Oh, right. Like, do you do you um, search for images that have, have been lit with colour, or no, do you no. do you like add the you know, look for normally lit um, images and then colour them yourself? No, no, I never look for colour pictures at all. Actually, mm. I sometimes um, I don't know. I look. For, I mean, I do a lot of figurative stuff. So um, at the moment, you know, so I do a lot of facial stuff. I like the bust. I like from, you know, from the chest up. I find that at the moment, anyway, I find that really visually pleasing to work on. So now it's not that I can't paint limbs or anything, but that's really where at the moment I I get that chocolate buzz every time I do it, you know. Um, I hope later I'll be doing a lot more figurative stuff, like full body sort of stuff. What was the question again? Oh, just about lighting. The lighting, yeah. So what I do like, um, which triggers off oh, like my creativity, is just um, is structure. And I'm not really that into... You know, the odd thing is in my head, I don't feel like I'm a colorist. I don't feel like I really enjoy using color. Um, but the, the weird thing is... I, I kind of see it not as colour, I see it as tonal work. And so I really like to explore tonal work. So I do like to start, I'll start the painting a lot of the time in green, usually. Um, I might do the underpainting completely. If I'm doing oils or uh, acrylics, I do a whole underpainting. I might do that in blue or I might do it in orange or red uh, or brown, like, you know, sienna and um, all those sort of sepia browns. 
um, get all my tonal scale, and then I'll start the painting in say green because why not? Why why do it? I don't want to be a photorealist. I'm not interested in painting a photo. Um, you know, it's what you're doing. You're like you're replicating a photo of someone. It's already it's already been done. Like it's already it's already done. So I like to um, do a quarter of it or a third of it, and then for some reason I'll go have a break. I'll walk back in the room and I'll be like blue. Yeah, man, imagine if that green just slowly filters into that blue. And then I'll sort of do that sort of section of the painting. Then I kind of think of where light hits and where light hits really hard. And that's what I'm always thinking of. And I kind of feel like I relate it back to three-dimensional graffiti. Mm. Block, blocking it out. Blocking out your image and seeing where where's the light source hitting at its maximum and then having a higher contrast, having a you know deeper blacks and brighter lights. And then your mid-tones is what people look at. You know, they don't always notice the highlight and the depth. Mm. They look at the mid, which is what sometimes is the colour, but that's not really what, what, what I get my buzz out of. I get my buzz out of this very sort of about 5% of the painting is what I really get the joy out of. And when I look at other people's paintings, that's what I look for a lot of the time. Although I love a lot of two-dimensional artwork. Like, I love flat graphic. I love it. I just... Man, I have files and files and books and books on just poster art and the whole Russian Bolshevik era. You know, I went through that in the, in the early 90s and I just became obsessed with poster printing and how do they make such a, an emotion, a three-dimensional feeling with just two, you know, two to six colours like we were talking earlier um, about printing. So I don't see myself as a colourist, but um, clearly when I look at everything I do, it's pretty over the top with colour sometimes. But I'm mainly focusing on light source. Yeah. That's my exploration, is that. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. I try not to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so with, the, with your, uh, your paintings, you were saying you like to paint from the bust up. Mm. And, uh, oh, sorry, from the chest up. But um, do, you, do you consider yourself a, uh, a portrait painter at the moment? Because you do paint a lot of yeah. portraits, but, um, yeah, but yeah, I've seen yeah, you paint yeah. so many different things over the years yeah. as well. You know? Yeah, I know. Um, uh, at the moment, I feel like I'm exploring the internal like side of the human, you know, um, yeah, the human form. I love the fact that you can look at everybody, right? You can sit somewhere, okay, on a tram, right? Or a restaurant or cafes are good, but you look a bit creepy in a cafe or a restaurant. But because I've done this and people really weird you out because you're looking like a weirdo. We look at people's ears and you look at the cartilage in their ear. Now, um, the government at the moment, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but at the moment when you go through the airports and they make you walk around that little mazed area now to leave the airport, so they get a front profile of you, a side profile, and three-quarter profiles. Now, a lot of the profile, because I, I um, heard about this, a client was telling me, he works at the um, International Airport, was telling me about customs and stuff, and um, your profile is mainly off your ears. No one in the world has the same cartilage in their ear. No one has the same form. So it's the new way that they're getting um, fingerprinting. So if you, and then I think of when I, I went to Paris years ago, I, I kind of moved there, I just bought a one-way ticket and moved there in 90 end of 94, 95, um, and I sat in restaurants, I had no money, I had money for one coffee, and I would milk it, I would ask for water all day, they used to hate me, try and kick me out, I would sit there and draw people's side profiles, and I started learning about ears, and um, that's where I learnt that 
there's so much to say about, not about their identity, but it's an infinitive amount of things that you can draw in the shape of a human form. So in like that last exhibition, which was a solo, there was a lot more ears in it than eyes. I think there was only two paintings with faces in it, and there was 25 paintings. So a lot of them were the back of the head, the side profile of the head, some of them didn't even have a face. Um, so I kind of was exploring the personality of an individual um, and trying to create someone that you think that would be alive. Even when I paint graph or painting it, just a street painting, I want people to think that that person is somebody. And I also use little illustrative tricks where I try and create history um, and try and create a past. Um, and that's by doing very, uh, you don't usually tell people this, but it's by doing really small things. And you learn about this in tattooing. And if you read a lot of books about illustration and old fashioned illustration, especially religious illustration, is how do you make someone look like they've got a past? So their clothes can't be perfect. You know, they've maybe got a pimple. You know, it sounds weird. They've maybe got jewelry in their ear, but one of the, if there's stones in it, one of the stones is missing. Now to the human eye, they can't see this. If they're wearing glasses, there's maybe a microscopic scratch on the, on the corner, or they're wearing a hat and there's a little bit of grass in it. And what that does in the viewer's eye is create a past. That means that this person has a presence that you're now looking at, and also says that after you've looked at the painting, they're gonna have a future. So I found that I became obsessed with that. So if you look at any little thing that I've ever drawn in the last maybe 10 years, whether it was a two-dimensional drawing of a character, there, if it's got a claw, it's got a chip out of it. If it's a human, they might have dirt under one of their fingernails. If it's, um, you know, if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a car, there's a dent somewhere there's always, there's a fly splattered on the front of the light that you don't even notice. And I've related that to everything I've done. Tattooing, painting, um, etching, every single thing I've ever done. And it's about that. So the, the viewer just thinks as though this person is actually a somebody. So that's kind of what I'm exploring. I'm not interested in being a photorealist. I have no interest in replicating reality, but I want to re replicate a feeling that people get from it. And some people, and I speak to a lot of people, as you can clearly tell I like to have a chat, but not, not many people talk to me about it. So 5% mm. of the people I talk to will mention a few little things and I go, oh my God, they got it. But I won't talk about it, I'll just register that they got it. And I'm like, oh, they really got, they kind of are seeing kind of what I feel like I'm trying to portray. I'm not exactly sure what I'm trying to portray, but you know, I meet some people that really get, get on the level. And I know when I see some people's stuff, um, I feel like a real strong connection, like two ones. You know, his art, like, is, uh, when I first saw his stuff, Twoon, however you want to call him, um, I totally felt like he was accessing a part of my brain and putting it up as a visual image. I was like, oh, my God, I totally get what he's doing. And at the time, he was dealing with a lot more geometrical shapes over the tops of, of paintings, and I loved it. So that's sort of what I try and do. I don't, I'm not interested in being a photorealist um, or portraying a, a person that exists. Yeah. Know? Does that answer that? Yeah, totally. Long answer. No, no, that's good. It's, uh, I'm going to start looking uh, at your work a bit <laughs> Yeah, I know. By saying this, people are like, hmm. No, 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 it's, it's, it's great because I paint a lot of... Um, you know, used objects as yeah. well as because they have a past and mm. I don't want to paint because I paint mostly objects and houses and all that I don't want to paint things that are 
fresh out of the factory. Mm. Like if if they've been got paint a couch, it's 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 always been sat on, and there's like yeah. uh, cheek yeah. marks and all that in it. And yeah, it's to it's to create that story, and it's mm. also it's so much nicer to like paint those bits. You know, yeah. you're yeah. getting meaning, meaning to your painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the viewer they don't you know, and the viewer I'm talking about myself like I don't know. I just get a feeling about its past. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what's warming about it, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can tell, because you can look at commercialism and you look at images that are produced by a particular brand and they, they don't ever have a past. They never have a past. Even if it's a 1950s Coke poster about Coca-Cola, you still just see a still shot, you know, of a perfect American family. You don't... You don't feel like the woman's hair's not out of place or the kid's not smiling perfectly. And that's, uh, you know, that's like jarring. It's disgusting, man. Mm. I still like, I still study it because then I'll try, I'll try and look at the composition of how strong they, they work on composition. But you know, it's a gross feeling when you, when you look at it, man. Yeah. When you're doing tattoos, do you um, like add these elements into you? Um, mm tattoos to yeah to every single one yeah so and then you do explain it to the person that's getting never the no um so look i i do i've done some like really uh really intense tattoos like really illustrative tattoos over the years and i've it depends on the customer mm. sometimes the customer is so involved in the design as i am you know like i did these baboons uh, there was this um there was this city scene it's this guy's whole leg and there's this sort of uh, corporate, you know, this was the guy's idea. There's this corporate octopus that's taken over that Melbourne city. There's all these baboons and monkeys running towards the view, which go down your leg. And they're all running and screaming. They've got briefcases open up and I've got money flinging out of the briefcases. But in some of the pockets, you know, I've, I'd look at tacky ties of the 70s and I would do the guy's tie like brown and yellow because, you know, he just has never had style. He's like this corporate machine that doesn't understand you know, what's going to happen when there's chaos, when he can't explain the logic of a situation. So I'll put little ink stains in their pen. I'll put pens in their pockets because they're still pen pushers because they're not, they're not moving forward with, you know, the digital age. And I'll do these little social commentaries that only I think about. And sometimes my customers are totally into it. Mm. Stoners, man, love that shit. They mm. love it. And I totally relate. We totally go on about the tattoo while I'm tattooing it. And we do funny, like, little, little things. We do some of the money, we're landing on the ground, there'll be, like, splatters of blood on it, you know. It's just all these micro little ideas. And then sometimes I'll do it and I'll be talking to the customer about, oh, I think I should be doing this because of the way that that bird is doing this, you know, its wing can be kind of like this metaphor. And they'll be looking at me like something's clearly mentally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of look at them like, maybe there's something clearly mentally wrong. So I'll just shut up and I'll just do it. You know, and yeah. make it visually aesthetically pleasing. But I'll still always, if a if an eagle's got a full wing, I'll do one feather just out, like it was grooming earlier. It's yet to go grooming, you know, or something, you know. Especially talons like claws. I like to do bits of rope wrapped around one of their claws. They're all like little metaphors, I think, mm. you know, um, which tattooing is really good for because you know the the past of tattooing is about you know, how to, you know, identity and, and then it became then into structure and imagery and how can you portray someone's whole life in one little object, you know, and is that by the boldness of the line or the delicateness, delicacy of the line or the, um, 
you know, the flow of it or is it just straight structure, you know? You're really trying to portray people's, um, you know, personalities in one image. Mm. Even if they've got hundreds of tattoos, you know, you've still got to sort of portray their identity. Um, so you learn a lot of that stuff through tattooing, which I then relate to everything else. But yeah, there's, there's always a little glitch in, in a drawing and a painting, always. I can't do it. Unless it's, unless it's for, uh, um, oh no, even if I do flowers or roses, I'll do one rip petal and stuff, but I make yeah. it very small. Yeah. So that's not offending them if they wanted a perfect rose, you know, I'll yeah. still put it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my brother, um, wanted me to design a tattoo for him years ago. He was like, he was saying, I want it to be like this and like that. And I just said, look, go see Steve Cross. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, I paint, nice. I do art and all that. I said, but it's like getting a, a plumber to do your electrical work. Just because mm. I, I, I'm creative, it doesn't mean I know how to, the first thing about designing a tattoo properly anyway. Yeah, it's really so difficult, go, man. Go see Steve, because yeah, yeah, you do it for a living and, mm. and all that. But he, um, he didn't end up uh, going to get it. But uh, <laughs> but it was just he, I don't know. He was, I'm sort of glad he did that, and because it was it's pretty pretty, pretty intense. Oh, it's just a pretty bogan tattoo that he wanted. Yeah, it's but like, that's not such a bad thing. Yeah, I don't know. But, I don't know. It's I funny. He's my twin brother. But we're completely different. Oh yeah, uh, right. Yeah. Wow. He's, uh, he's he's got. I haven't got any tattoos. And would you be like yeah. in the studio screaming while he was on the other side of the town getting tattooed? Because you'd be feeling his pain. No. No. <laughs> Nah, not like, uh, nothing like <laughs> <I'm> that. <sorry. laughs> but uh, Telekinesis. He, it's funny. He's 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 got a um, tattoo on his ankle. It's, it's his footy, oh, right. footy club tattoo with yeah, the, yeah. The, the premierships he's played in. Yeah, like, yeah. And one like tattooed under all the whole, millions of those. The whole dude. team's got him. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, man, I used to fear any of that time of the year. Oh God, man. Yeah. Footy do tats. a whole team. Then you do all the coaches, and then the sub coaches and then some of the dads you know and they were coming everyone's wankered you know yeah everyone's got a beer and that's the only time we you get sort of in the suburbs we'd allow like drinking in the in the studio like you get like 30 blokes just maggoted and you'd just be tattooing premiership stuff on them all day it was all it's kind of cool <laughs> it's fun that's part of that industry as well you know you're also dealing in that industry with some pretty crazy people like you know when you're painting a wall you can put your headphones in and pretend that you don't want to talk to anyone because maybe you don't want to talk to anyone, but when you're tattooing, I mean, you're physically, you're shaving someone you don't know. You know, you've got to think of that part of it. Um, and then you're physically touching them. Like, you're, you're, you're touching a stranger for up to six hours a day, every day, and they're putting every single element of trust in you not to destroy their, their life. It's, it's pretty involved. Like, you know, that in itself is a whole entire different sort of interview i reckon <laughs> you know a conversation because it's it gets pretty deep that sort of psychologically um you know it's a pretty intense way of producing artwork and you know people just think it's like they relate it to a reality tv show where they might do that sort of trade on it or something like that that is nothing to do with tattooing there's no fast editing there's no music there's no charismatic people it hurts it's really serious and you know you've got to go home knowing every day that you did the you you could never fall down you always have to have a good day every day yeah you know it's very intense you know uh psychologically it's it's a really hard job yeah mm. i've seen some shockers over the years there's a lot of people doing bad tats out there isn't there yeah yeah, yeah. Like the, that's the one, cool though the one that i, I like it a bit yeah the it's one, not bad graffiti yeah but the one that gets me every time is when you see someone that gets a script tat 
but they've typed it out all in capitals. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. like the first letter of a script is yeah. like a special character, <laughs> and then it sort of flows on in lowercase. Yeah. They just type the whole thing yeah. out in capitals, yeah. and it's like individual. Yeah, and off Microsoft characters. Word. You yeah, know what I mean? Oh. oh man, we love it, man. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, you get to see everything in that. I mean, you really get. You don't have to read. Oh, my theory is you never have to read a newspaper if you're a tattooist. You know, you just have to go to work. You will find out everything about the society you're living in mm. by the, what people say in your studio. Mm. It's pretty crazy, you know. You really get to see the extremes of of, uh, of, of what's going on. Yeah, because I don't read newspapers or watch the news mm. ever, really. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I'm a firm believer in if something serious is happening in the world, you'll find out about it word of mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> yeah because be the rest of it's all just doom and gloom and shit anyway, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, I'm not sure why they focus on that these yeah. days, but anyway, yeah. money in it, I guess, money and fear. Yeah. Now that religion's dead, yeah, you know, we need something else. <laughs> anyway, back to art. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was, um, look, I saw that post you did on Instagram a while ago, and about um, like back you were talking about it earlier, like back in '95, you bought a um one-way ticket to Paris, oh, yeah. and you said you were like, hanging out with buskers and tunnel dwellers yeah, and pickpockets yeah. and living on the streets and in cheap hostels. Yeah. Like, it sounded like, um, like quite an adventure. Like, what, yeah. what, what sparked, oh, man. what sparked that trip? Um, well, ever since I was a kid, I just sort of had this thing about living in France. I don't know what it was. I didn't know anything about it. Um, now I was brought up in a pretty white suburb and we didn't, I mean, in, in our primary school, we had one kid from another country and he was Italian and you can imagine the stick he got. So it was a pretty white, it was a British white, you know, brand new suburb in Perth. Um, we were the first kids at the primary school and we were the first kids at the high school as well. It was, it was a brand new, you know, yellow sand suburb. So when I started hearing and learning about art history and the first time I, I bought this book from a $2 shop on, on this guy called Michelangelo and I was maybe nine and I just, I completely, it blew my mind, completely blew my mind. I didn't, I didn't know that there was any other culture other than American culture because advertising in those days was still um, pushed towards that. Television was, you know, pretty few and far between and Australian, you know, there was Skippy and, you know, there was things like that, you know, like there was, that was, it was either really Australian or it was really American. There was no kind of difference. So when I started learning about Europe, I just thought, man, my, my goal was to live there and to be there. Um, and it was more about breathing the air that these people had breathed. It wasn't about um, even being productive. It was just about being in the environment, you know, that they, the exact same environment they were walking around in. Um, you know, less technology, but still the same buildings, same walls, same streets, same, you know, anything. Um, so I was obsessed with um, French and Italian artists always. And uh, just book, book after book. I had to buy two books a week, usually from two dollars, you know, from cheap shops, seconds and stuff, because I couldn't afford it. Um, I've still got them all. I have thousands of books, um, you know, which uh, excites me, but my partner hates. But anyway, because they're they're everywhere. Um, and uh, so my goal when I got old enough and realised that I was becoming an individual that I could actually do whatever I wanted was like to buy a ticket. So I was having a pretty rough time. Um, we just organised a massive event in Perth called um, Aeroglyphics, which was an international graffiti um, th uh, comp, which was through me and Shime, Dash, uh, another guy called BJ, uh, and a few other guys. <clears throat> we had like Mo2 down, 
who was living directly in Paris and London at the time. And that's where I met him and we kind of struck up a friendship there. Uh, well, all of us did. Um, there was always a tight connection um, with him in Perth for some strange reason. And um, so I bought a one-way ticket after we'd done this massive event. It was really big. We had like five riders from each state in Australia, um, other than uh, Hobart, unfortunately. And, um, and uh, we had Darko, uh, Lumet came down, you know, and Lumet was ruling in Germany, at, you know, just painting all over Europe, you know, all those guys. Um, you know, and he influenced so many people, like Hound Nozem and all of those. So it was the start of this, you know, Europe had sort of come, started coming to Australia a lot more. Um, and I, after that event, I was just burnt out. I just thought, I'm out of here. I'm just, I'm just out of here. I just had... I just had had enough with a lot of my peers and I felt like I'd, I'd ex just um, exhausted all my avenues of what I wanted to achieve. So I thought I'd just buy a one-way ticket to Paris. And then I went, I was staying at my mum's house because I was living in a car at the time and at friends' houses. But I went, I went back to my mum and dad's house just before for the two weeks to get meal and uh, to get the washing done. And because I was pretty young. And I was like... Um, I bought a one-way ticket to Paris and mum was like, so where's that? And I'm like, you know, Paris, you know, like the city in France. She's like, what? And that's sort of, that's what, I, I just jumped in. I thought, what, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to get, nothing bad. I don't, I don't have cancer. I don't have any illnesses. I should do this stuff while I have the, the brain space, the opportunity to do it. So I bought a one-way ticket and I just, I just went there. I didn't know any French. I'd never been on a long-haul flight before. And uh, so I jumped on the plane and it was just a horrific, just a horrific uh, flight. But anyway, um, I, uh, I landed and I had nowhere to go, nowhere to be. I didn't pre-book anything. This is pre-internet, so um, I knew nothing. So I arrived at Paris at about 11.30 at night and I tried to um, sleep in the airport and I didn't know these, these the, you know, the, the military or whatever they are. You know, they all have machine guns, submachine guns there you know, walk around an airport, which I find is so weird. <laughs> it's like, anyway. Um, and they kept moving me on. So I kept hiding from them, trying to sleep for half an hour, and then they'd kick me and move me on. And so I was, they said, I can't stay in the airport. So I did that till about maybe 12, 12.30. And then I got on the last train, one of the last trains, I think they stopped, um, into Paris from Charles de Gaulle. And that was just... That was the beginning of a whole, my whole life, basically. It was a baptism by fire, you know, by trying to survive that flight. I got on the last carriage, which we all know is the dodgy carriage. Well, I don't know if you know. Yeah, of course I, you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we all sit. Yeah. And I uh, got on the last carriage. I was the only white person on the carriage. Um, and it was slamming. It was basically like about two separate parties were happening on the train. Uh, there was like ragga, like um, that was just cranked. Jungle had just started coming out, the music. So there was this like basically more exciting hip hop than hip hop at the time because hip hop was so pivotal in the 90s. But when ragga came in and, you know, it was like guys toasting and all that sort of stuff over it, I walked in to this party and just sat in this thing overly tired. I've been traveling nearly 30 hours, um, didn't even know myself really. And I'm in this train, st um, this um, train carriage with maybe sixty people, like drinking, smoking weed. The windows were pulled open, and they were shut. It was, just, it was chaos. Um, 
it was uh, it was wild, and I basically sat in between these two separate sort of parties that were kind of blending in because people were screaming and dudes were dancing and everyone was like had the best hair, you know, like mad locks and shit. I was like, oh my god, man, I'm from Perth. I'm from Maddington, which is 20 minutes out of Perth. I I'd never seen anything like that before. So, and I kind of at the start was kind of scared because I thought, well, I'm clearly not one of these people. I've got a backpack, which is already 16 Ks, kilos, which is now nothing actually. Um, but you know, when you're younger, it just seemed to be that heavy to lug around, but I had nowhere to go. So um, as I got closer to Paris, I noticed that um, there was more people. So one of the stations I just got out of and just walked up into the square and it was a Friday night, I think. Saturday night, Friday night, it was one of them. And it was just flat out, like a major city at its absolute pinnacle of a Friday night. You know, people were rolling drunk and screaming and laughing and yelling, there were fights. There was cops everywhere and there were sirens and there was just buses and cabs and thousands of human beings. I'd never been in that environment in my life. So I walked out of the subway, I walked up and it was just like a smack in the mouth. And it was just amazing, man. I just and that was it. And then I started door knocking on hotels and I got a really dodgy hotel. The guy gave me a pretty bad vibe about if I didn't lock my door, what was going to happen type of thing. Like he knew I was really vulnerable and young and didn't know anything. And I just, I just stayed there one night. I set up all these obstacles behind the, <laughs> behind the door. Like I locked it three times and put the table and the chair up against it and just like was so exhausted. I just crashed. And then the next morning I put my backpack on and just walked into Paris and that was the start of it. I had nowhere to be and uh, a random, and this, I relate this to my every day, a random guy came up and said, hey, you looking for a hostel? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he goes, oh, there's a good one around the corner. It's really cheap. It's a bit dodgy. It's a party joint, but you can go there. It's just the next block. He goes, I just thought I'd help you because you looked like you were a bit starstruck or, mm. you know, stunned. And I went... Thanks, man. And I thought maybe this is lying and maybe this is like, you know, something. I went there, there was a hostel, and then that's where it started. And to this day, I help anyone who looks lost. Yeah. I did it yesterday. I do it every day if I'm in the city. I still catch public transport to work. Um, I'll help anybody. Because that guy changed my life, you know. And then, uh, yeah, I fell into a big group of buskers. Um, and uh, yeah, man, they were wild. They remind me of graffiti writers, except they were doing music illegally, running from the cops, being arrested, fighting, drinking, smoking weed. It was fucking awesome, man. <laughs> and um, ended up spending 10 months there. And I think it was nine or 10 months. Um, I had no money. I'd lost, I was basically a skeleton. I had enough money for a coffee a day and I'd save up money um, trying to sell paintings at Notre Dame and at the Louvre. I, was, I got arrested a few times um, for legal painting. I got held up by the military for about three hours in a doorway once and they were threatening me with machine gun and all this stuff that was a bit surreal. But I had no idea on me, so I didn't exist as far as they... So they never knew if I was a gypsy or if I was from Romania. You know, all these other... What they're dealing with. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing, man. It was really, really good and... When I was getting arrested as well, I was like, this is awesome. You know, like, this is just, this is living. This is actually, I'm living minute by minute. And uh, yeah, I met some amazing people and yeah, he used to run amok, get off the trains and run on the tube to the next train platform with all the violinists and shit. You know, they're playing violin. I thought they were like 
soft head, you know, like yeah. nerds. These dudes went nerds, man. They had broken noses and black eyes and they punched on with the best of them, like, you know, and then at night we'd climb up all the scaffolding and climb to the tops of buildings and smoke weed and shit. It was pretty good, man. It was really wild. And then I went to Prague on a bus and that really tripped out over there. That was a whole different surreal. Fell into the jazz movement over there and fell into the jazz clubs because I met a trumpeter in um, Paris and we bumped into each other and then um, he showed me the whole jazz underworld and it was pretty influenced by, you know, drugs and music. And uh, yeah, that, that, it was a pretty good trip, man. Yeah, it sounds I, like I, it. I owe my whole life to that, that kind of trip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of growth happens when you throw yourself out there. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah totally. It's the, um, if you can kind of get over, if nothing bad's going to happen to you and you know you know how to survive, then mm. then that's, you know. Yeah. You know, you look at people who live on the streets and they're so down and out, but they're not dead, man. No. They still they still have the human nature to survive. Yeah, humans are pretty resilient, you know. They're, yeah, they can be treated pretty poorly and, and can survive some pretty horrific things, so... You know, what was yeah. gonna happen to me? Yeah. As we become part of the slave trade or something. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we'll start wrapping this up. So if you could be known for only one medium of your artwork, uh, is there one that you'd choose? Uh um I would say it would be spray paint. Yeah. Hmm. What that I'm remembered for? Well, just if, if there was, if you could only be remembered for one medium, I'd be like Steve Cross. He was that guy that did that. Yeah, you know? uh, I don't know, man. I love oil painting. Hey, I love oil painting with a like a. I like them so much for different things. Like oil painting to me is really mature. I find it's a really old. It's such an old trade. You know, people have been producing it for so long. You know, with spray paints. 35 years old when people were starting to create imagery with mm. it say say 40 years old for people I don't know about um, but I find with aerosol I don't know man yeah. I don't know I love aerosol um, as much as I love oil painting so I could I, and, I, and nowadays I try and do the, the same effects in both of them even though I'm, I'm nowhere near being near each other mm. But um, I really admire painters that can paint without a focus and create depth of field and all of that. And you just, you don't even know it's just done with a spray can, man. Something that your dad used to paint the fence with or your bike frame with has now developed into this surreal, you know, world of, of imagery that doesn't even exist. You know, like guys are producing stuff that, you know, is in their head, man. It's like pretty insane. So. I kind of like the future of aerosol. Like I, I just love the fact that I love using it. I actually do know that when my finger pushes on the button that, you know, it's not a button, but you know what I'm saying. Um, it, you know, every spray, it really means something. Mm. Oil painting is a very slow process. So there's layers and you can go away and come back with a different mindset and change the whole painting. But aerosol is pretty instant. Mm. And if you're going to fail, you're going to fail pretty fast, within the minute. So, uh, I kind of like aerosol, you know, spray paint. And um, I like that it's an infinitive, you know, thing. You know, yeah. you, people are now using filters, you know, it looks like they're using filters on their paintings. Mm. It's all just done with 
paint being squirted out of a can. It's just unbelievable, man. I love yeah. it. And no one still controls it. Like a lot of the paint companies, you know, a lot of those guys are still old graffiti writers. Yeah. You know, not there are a few major companies sort of just cracking in on it now, but that's just the evolution of it. But I still feel like you're giving back to the to the community. Where oil painting, I know that it's made by you know major companies, and you know, um, but yeah, don't know. Yeah, it's too hard to answer, man. All right. Well, don't worry. You don't. <laughs> I didn't. There's a hypothetical anyway. question. <laughs> yeah. There's no correct answer. No, no, no. Hilarious. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> all right, do you have any uh, up and coming projects? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got heaps. I, I try not to talk about too many because then I, I, I lose the energy of doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have I have a few commercial things going on. Um, I have a few. I have a, I have a nice wine label for some really good friends over in um, Pemberton in, in WA. I've done their label before, but they've got this. I've got this. They're kind of la- allowing me to. There's no restraints on the next label, so that's kind of really cool. I kind of. Uh, and I actually could have finished it by now, but I still keep just um, exploring the imagery because I just kind of like the imagery. Um, so I've got that on. Uh, I've got a few group exhibitions on, all, always group exhibitions because I just like to be involved in them. Uh, and I kind of re- really want to um, do a solo for the end of this year or the start of next year. Um, I've just got to... Uh, I've got a few things going on with Corpus, you know, with the studio, tattoo studio. So I'm just kind of, uh, I've got to re- regulate my time. So, uh, um, but I've got a few big, big murals on the, on the go. Uh, a lot of them, things are just getting signed off by builders and all of that sort of stuff, construction, which, are, you know, I'm just in limbo waiting for the go ahead. Um, yeah, enough. I feel like I've got a few good hand paintings in me, a few good acrylic paintings in me at the moment, which I want to really concentrate on. Um, so that's what I'll be doing after this, actually. Cool. Starting a new one, yeah. Yeah, I'm off to the studio as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. I might come say hello. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you can drive me there. I was going to get a tram. Yeah, I'll drive you there. Yeah, sweet. Cool. All right. All right. Cool. Um, <laughs> so where's the best place for people to see your artwork online? Oh, well, it would clearly be Instagram, basically. Yeah. It's a daily image. Or, you know, at least, at least one a week. If I've got nothing to say, I won't post anything. I don't get uptight about it. Um, but yeah, that, that's my current, I do have Facebook, but that's, you know, that's a whole, I do have a website. Um, but that's for people with time on their hands. You know, everyone I know seems to be pretty busy. So we're always running around, you know, and Instagram is like instant, you know, it's a, you know, you're, you're instantly getting a message from someone. I kind of like that. Um, but that's current. Yeah. That's, that's within a couple of days span. Oh, Yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks for taking the time to uh, have a chat. You were one of the um, first people um, on the list to to uh, get on the podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I spoke last. to you. And I <laughs> I spoke to you about it when, like, I was still before the tenth episode. I was still like, "Hey, do you want to come on the podcast?" And yeah. Said, yeah, yeah. And then just hadn't uh, hadn't got out. We're busy together. people, man. We are. We're busy we are. people. Yeah. But thanks for taking the time. Thanks, man. No, I appreciate it. Yeah. I love all your casts are like awesome and. I think it's just really important. I think that you, you only get to speak to these people in these elements of intimacy when you're at a gallery after a show, but usually you're five beers down and, you know, you're, you're trying to, yeah, yeah, you know, and 
you can only have so much long conversation before someone just walks in and starts saying something else. So it's kind of, you know, I think it's really important, you know, like it's being recorded and I think it's sort of, you know, everything you've done is just, um, and everything you're going to do is just, I, I don't know, I, I really enjoy it. It's, it really means something. It, they, 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 I guess they create a timeline, you know, which people can reflect back on and I think that's important because other than that, a lot of people are just producing visual art. Yeah. No one's talking about it. Yeah, and it's you can know, it's like I've always thought of it as giving artists a voice, you know, because it's yeah. instead of just letting their paintings do the talking, they actually yeah, get no, to explain themselves. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think that one painting someone could talk about for like a day. Yeah. But you never get the opportunity to to, to discuss it, or you never get the opportunity to ask the painter what they're trying to portray, really. Mm. So I yeah. think they're really important. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, mate. No probs. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To find out more about today's guests, go to benchtalkpodcast.com. There you'll find all previous episodes and images of the guest's artwork. Also follow us on Instagram, bench underscore talk. There you can keep up to date with all things that are happening with the podcast. Bench Talk's also streaming on SoundCloud and Facebook. Just simply search for Bench Talk Podcast. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review. It helps get the word out. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. Thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye.